What's up, y'all, and welcome to episode two of the Prep Station podcast. We're going to get started today. We're going to talk about the TikTok CEO congressional grilling. Uh, I'm not even going to try to butcher the gentleman's name, but the T, uh, CEO of TikTok went before Congress yesterday. I'm sure you've heard in the news there's been all these talks about a TikTok ban. So the issue with TikTok and the reason it's possibly going to be banned in the U.S. is that uh, the government is worried that the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinese government, is going to get their hands on all of uh, America's Americans who use TikTok, their personal data, their private data. It's on TikTok. So in case you didn't know, all social media companies collect an enormous amount of data on anybody on their service. And it's not just TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, all of it. They collect just a ridiculous amount of data. And it's not just what you surf on their site. It's these sites are spidered into other sites. Uh, Facebook was notorious for this for a long time, just being spidered into other sites. So they know what else you're browsing and what you're doing. And that's why you'll look for, you'll search for something on another website. You'll search for something on Amazon, say, and then you go on Facebook and you'll see an ad for something that you were searching for or something similar because the things are just all interconnected. And okay. So at this point, that's just, you know, the company's, of course, going to check what you do to see what they can sell to you. That's just a fact of life. The bigger issue is with these companies selling your data to others. And in regards to TikTok, it goes even further in that this is information that the Chinese government could use and potentially use against Americans in the future. So the CEO said TikTok would... Hold all data on U.S. citizens on American servers, uh, I believe it was Oracle servers based in Texas, and it would not be available to any foreign governments. He said TikTok would use third-party monitors to ensure data privacy. So there'd be a third-party company in here making sure nobody was fidgeting with American data. Like I said, TikTok isn't the only company that do the, uh, does this, but that's a bigger threat. Facebook selling your data to other companies, that's bad. TikTok giving your data to the Chinese government, that's worse. So there are levels to bad here. It's all bad. But ultimately, we need some uh, data privacy laws in this country. And this should apply to all companies, including Facebook and Google. But the issue is you look at Congress and the average age is, you know, Methuselah. So a lot of these people don't have a clue about anything tech related. And I don't claim to be an expert, but I think I know a little bit more than a lot of members of Congress. Some of them can't even operate email. You know, I'm not how much we can expect an 80 year old senator to know about data privacy who doesn't operate a smartphone probably on their own. So that's going to be it's an issue. We felt we dealt with the same problem with net neutrality. There was just so much misinformation out there and. Congress people just spreading ridiculous takes that how, oh, if we pass net neutrality, it's going, uh, Democrats are gonna, and liberals are just gonna drown out Republican voices when the opposite was more possible under a Wild West regime. Um, so the same thing's gonna happen now, most likely, if we actually do get a push on data privacy laws. I believe there's some, some bipartisan legislation up there, but I haven't heard about it being close to being signed or anything. 
But I'm sure it'll become a partisan fight and we won't get the actual protection we need on top of the fact that, you know, big tech is pouring tons of money into Congress to make sure they keep their spigot open. You know, they get to keep their cash cow. Um, Me personally, I don't think a company like Facebook or Google should be able to take your data that they collect and sell it to a third party. I'm not comfortable with it, but I guess, you know, I, you have to accept that they use your data to target you with ads. I mean, they got to make money and, you know, you don't, you're not charged for Facebook. You're not charged for YouTube. So they do have to make money. So if they use the data to target you with ads, that's one thing. That's something I guess we just got to accept. But selling your data to a third-party company, no. I did not agree to uh, be a client of this third-party company. So, no, I'm not okay with that. We should have laws that protect our data from being transferred to companies we're not affiliated with. If you go on Facebook and use Facebook, you, you know, you're, you got to accept that they're going to get your data and be able to use it to target you with ads. Same with Google, same with any company. But it shouldn't be, it shouldn't go to third parties and it shouldn't go to governments for sure. And that's another thing is that um, even in America, it's like they should not be able to get, the American government should not be able to get any of our data that Facebook's collected without a warrant. And I'm not sure what the laws are on that, but I'm willing to guess they're pretty loose right now because, like I said, with our 100-year-old average age of Congress, it's just like they have not really, not really dealt much with data privacy issues. So let's move on. Uh, speaking of Congress, though, Republicans are preparing a debt ceiling term sheet. The debt ceiling. This is one of my biggest pet peeves in politics. So the debt ceiling is an arbitrary law that was passed some years ago, many years ago, that basically puts a limit on how much money the government can borrow, and they borrow by selling bonds, of course, how much money the government can borrow to pay its bills. So this has nothing to do with the budget now. This is just a arbitrary line. They've said, okay, we're going to set it here and you can't go over it. So every couple of years we have this fight, except it's not every couple of years. It depends on who's in office. And this issue right here is one of the main reasons I don't vote Republican and can't take them seriously. And I'll tell you why. Under Trump, they passed three debt ceiling increases. Republicans had Congress for some of those years, two of his years, two of his years they didn't. But Republicans themselves passed debt ceiling increases. No, no spending cuts, no tax raises, no worried about the deficit, debt, nothing. They just passed a clean debt ceiling increase. Now the Democrats in office and Republicans have got control of one house Congress. Now they want to negotiate, say, oh, no, no, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling without some cuts. We want to cut. We want to, we got to balance our budget, blah, blah, blah. And again, they cut taxes under Trump and they didn't, you know, they didn't cut spending in any significant way, and he ran up huge record deficits. So they only, Republicans only take this as an issue when a Democrat is in office. And my opinion is Biden and the Democrats are right to say we're not going to negotiate on the debt ceiling. The time to handle your deficit and spending problem is on the budget. Uh, Biden's not going to gut his agenda when Republicans only control half of Congress anyway. So they don't have enough leverage unless they're just, you know, willing to take us bankrupt. And again, the debt ceiling, this, the debt ceiling does not have anything to do with 
future spending. It is covering spending we have already approved. These laws have already been signed, sealed, delivered. So the time, if you want to deal with debt and cuts, is during the budget, which they also have to pass this year. Now, one thing that's aggravated me from the Democratic side is that uh, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries has dismissed the idea of a discharge position to handle the problem. Now, what this is, is it's a complicated process where they have to get over 218 signatures. It has to wait 30 days, blah, blah, blah. But they can basically force a vote on the floor to pass a clean debt ceiling. You could do this for any bill, I think. But it basically, it forces the House to pa- uh, vote on a bill. It doesn't force it to pass. It just forces a, forces a vote. And for those of you that don't know, the House, um, this was a big thing with the McCarthy speaker vote. They were trying, a lot, one of the big complaints that Republicans had that were against him, and I actually agreed with these complaints, is kind of how draconian the whole process is that the speaker how much control they have over allowing legislation to come to a vote. And of course there has to be some limits because if it was, you know, if there was no control, it would be chaotic and nothing would ever get done. But bills that would pass Congress don't even come up to a vote because the speaker doesn't want it to. And usually a speaker doesn't want a vote to come up if they can't pass it with their own members only. If they get extra votes, fine, but they would, like, McCarthy is not going to bring up a bill that passes with 210 Democrats and 10 Republicans. He's not going to let 10 people cross the aisle and join Democrats and pass something over his objections. So that's a huge problem, but a discharge position forces his hand. Now, it's very complicated, and we don't even know if it would work, but to dismiss it now is kind of aggravating to me. Um... It just shows the Democrats kind of want this fight in the hopes that it damages Republicans politically because it always does damage them, at least somewhat in the short term. Every time they, you know, lead to uh, cause a government shutdown or they fight for this debt ceiling, it hurts them because they just look obstinate and like children. But we shouldn't be playing political games with the debt ceiling. The U.S. could afford to trim spending in some areas, but it also needs us to raise revenue in others. Um, It's going to be a complicated issue to deal with our debt. And this idea that we need a balanced budget is just a silly talking point that they try to get over on people that don't have a lot of knowledge of economics, but it's okay for the U.S. government to run a deficit. The government is not a business, and it is not a household. You can't compare it to those things. Running some debt is fine. Uh, U.S. debt is highly sought after in the world. It is the safest financial asset or one of the safest financial assets you can get in the entire planet. So us having debt is not an issue. You just don't want it to go too much larger than your, you know, what your uh what it's capable of dealing with. Like right now it's getting out of hand and that interest payments on the debt are gonna become a huge part of our actual spending. And we don't want to go there. So we do need to kind of trim the fat and get it down to more manageable levels. But also, growing your economy, of course, helps because the larger your economy, the larger your tax receipts, you'll make more money. And then uh, it, the size of the debt compared to what you're bringing in isn't it's, – it's better. So the tax code needs to target where the money is, and that's not income taxes. You always hear this, oh, we're going to raise the marginal rates from 36 to 39 that is so small potatoes, it's ridiculous. If the government's serious about going after the big money, it has to go after capital gains. It has to go after estates. You've got to go where the money is. 
Um, and this whole idea, I love Republicans bring up, oh, well, um, 50, 150 million people don't even pay income taxes. Yeah, because they don't have any money. See, I'm not one of these people that's for punishing the rich. It's like, I just want to tax them just because they're rich. I'm jealous. I don't like them. No, I'm okay with rich people. Um, I'm not okay with, you know, unfair wealth inequality, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, the rich people, their taxes have to go up simply because they're the ones with all the money. That's just my bottom line. It's like, there's certain things I would like the government to do. To do that, it needs money. Rich people have the money. We have to raise their taxes. It's as simple as that. Wealth inequality, just the, the amount of wealth inequality has skyrocketed so high in recent decades. It's really the only way. You really, at this point, with inflation being high, with costs going up for everything, you can't tax the middle class without causing real economic damage. You know, if wages had gone up with worker productivity over the years, more Americans would be paying more taxes. You know, the people at the top, the CEOs and the hedge funds and all that, they're the ones that decided to take more of the pie. This idea that, oh, no, that was just the market dictating. No, they were the market. They had the capital. They decided what to pay people. You know, if you want to just say that's the market, well, then that's wrong. That's obviously they're taking too much. The wealth inequality is bad. We see what happens, and we've seen historically what happens when wealth inequality gets to certain points. We have economic collapses. Moving on to world news, uh, let's talk about China. Xi Jinping went and had his big conference with Putin. I believe he went to Russia for that. Got a grand, you know, grand entrance, grand meeting with Putin. Um, but one thing that has become, I mean, we all saw this, but it just this kind of put on display for everybody is the realignment with China on top of Russia. And that Russia is kind of almost becoming, you know, a client of China. They are China's lapdog at this point. And as soon as Xi left from Putin, he immediately called a meeting with a bunch of other Central Asian powers. And Russia wasn't invited. Now, this is kind of a big deal because this is typically Russia's sphere of influence. A lot of these countries are former Soviet Union countries. So he's really laying stake to this area and that could have been something you know that was talked about there and maybe you know he kind of said hey we'll get we'll aid you in your ukraine war but we want more you know leverage here in central asia because the u.s kind of has them boxed in in the pacific so and that, that kind of leads into what i want to talk about in this how do we respond we as in the u.s how do we respond to rising china you know we just sent some destroyers into the south china sea Got China all riled up again. Of course, this is in international water. We're not going, but this is water area they claim as their own. Um, we don't recognize it, so we're sending ships in there to kind of make that point. And I say that's a good thing. You can't let them, you know, they what they've done is they sprouted up all these islands and claimed islands that there's in dispute. You can't just let them kind of bully their neighbors and bully their way into just controlling more and more land and more and more sea. Because that's really what's at issue here, and that's kind of ties into Taiwan and everything too, is they're trying to gain control over the South China Sea, and a huge chunk of the world's economy goes through that area. It's very important that we keep those waterways free and open. And I personally think Biden has done a really good job of building alliances all around China. He's sort of slowly forming a NATO of the Pacific, uh, he's getting us closer with India, who's going to be one of China's main rivals in the region. Of course, we've always been close with Japan and South Korea, but we've kind of drawn in even closer militarily with them. 
and uh, Australia too. We've got to deal with them on some submarines, although that caused some friction because France had the deal first. Sorry, France. Um, and even the Philippines, they're kind of on the fence. One day they're with China, one day they're with us, but I think ultimately they're going to kind of sway our way because we don't really want anything from them. We basically will just want them to join us in containing China, whereas China is going to probably want something from them. And they have some disputes, I think, too, on areas of the sea right there by them. Um, but yeah, he's done a really good job. This It's really united everybody against China because China is very imperialistic right now in the region. And it doesn't have to be that way. China doesn't have to go the route of the Soviet Union and just try to dominate all its neighbors and possibly even absorb them in the future. Um, <clears throat> it could turn back, you know, it could continue its the rise it has seen the previous decades. Both China and the U.S. can prosper. And it's going to be a difficult road for China, though, going forward. They've pretty much reached the end of the rapid growth that they saw the last couple of decades. They're pretty well established now. It's just inevitable. It's nothing they did wrong, but an economy reaches a certain point, you're not going to have 10, 10, 7.5% you know, economic growth year after year. You do reach a point of diminishing returns. And then there's the Taiwan issue. Taiwan is a big problem. Um, a war over Taiwan is a lose-lose pretty much for everybody. If China gets it, of course, they get the land, they get the Taiwan Strait, they get all that. But as you see in Ukraine, it would be a it's going to be a monumental task because I believe the Taiwanese might even be more heavily armed than the Ukrainians were prior to us dumping a bunch of weapons in there. So unfortunately, Xi is kind of using outside foils to shore up support at home common tactic. Putin's done the same thing, trying to, you know, he keeps Russians behind him by saying, oh, the West, the West, it's always the West. Um, this is how Xi got around the COVID lockdown crisis until it just, he literally, you know, even no matter how much pointing, finger pointing and blaming the West he did, it reached a boiling point where he had to just get rid of COVID's lockdown zero and he did. But the next issue he has, you know, he's going to point fingers again. And I definitely look, if there was severe, some kind of real turmoil He's um, if there's a, another crisis similar to COVID zero, he's going to probably use the war in Taiwan as a distraction to try to nationalize and get the base riled up. Um, it's a mess. I hope China does kind of come back off this imperialistic route they've taken, but we'll see. Okay, let's move on to sports, and this was uh, kind of shocking to me, but I guess kind of not. Joe Rogan recently on his podcast, he said that, um, and I don't want to put words into his mouth too much, but he basically, they were talking about the greatest MMA fighter of all time. He th He's saying it's John Jones now after his win, become heavyweight champion. And somebody brought up GSP, his guest, whoever his guest was, I can't remember who it was, but they brought up GSP. And he basically... He got around to saying GSP, you know, the competition's gotten better, and he thought Jorge Masvidal was better than GSP. That's the gist of it. That's the hot take, that Jorge Masvidal was a savage, he's a beast, he would have dominated in GSP's era, and GSP's old, bygone, whatever. So, that is insane to me. And this is not going to be, uh, you know, just pile on Joe take. I'm a huge fan of Joe Rogan, been one for years. But this was crazy. Um, and 
spoiler alert, he was having Jorge Masvidal on his podcast shortly thereafter, so that's kind of really what that was about. Joe has a real recency bias problem. If he's either had somebody on the podcast recently or he's about to, that person is going to be the God King, amazing, awesome. He really talks up his guests, and it is what it is. But it's funny because Jorge Masvidal was in GSP's era. They kind of came up around the same time. He's he came up a little bit after GSP, but not that far. I was I was actually shocked by that. I thought he was a much newer fighter. But they fought a lot in the same era, so he is not some new age fighter that's just completely different uh, than GSP. Um, <clears throat> so there was a lot of career overlap. And just comparing the fighters, Ray Masvidal, a great fighter, don't get me wrong, but he is not even in the same ballpark as GSP in terms of being well-rounded. Um, GSP is one of the greatest wrestlers to ever step into the octagon. And I know he didn't have a formal wrestling background, but he put NCAA wrestlers on their back consistently. And even larger fighters have said sparring with him, you know, his strength and his just wrestling ability was just off the charts. And his striking, we didn't see it as much in his later career because he worked, you know, more safely and took guys down and just dominated them on the ground. But his striking was amazing earlier in his career, especially. And I don't think he lost it. I think he just fought safer because it was a money thing. Um, And submission-wise, I mean, his submission of Matt Hughes in their third fight was one of the best I've ever seen in the UFC. So, yeah, I... I think GSP would dominate Jorge Masvidal and most of the welterweight division today. The really the toughest matchup I think for him today in welterweight would have been Kamara Usman. Um, just because you look at how much trouble Johnny Hendricks gave him in their fight and Johnny Hendricks was probably juiced to the gills, but Usman, tough wrestling, hard hitter, can knock guys out. He would have been a tough matchup, but Jorge Masvidal, no, I think GSP takes him down, dominates him five rounds, 5045. Speaking of hot takes though, Mario Chalmers had one. He um says that people didn't fear LeBron James like they feared Jordan. And these these takes just they floor me because these are grown men. It's a basketball game. Nobody's scared, okay? Players were not scared of Jordan either. That's just this is just a just a shot at LeBron. It's just disrespect. Um, now JJ Redick had a counter take to that. He says, you know, if we're gonna take fear of losing, is that now? Okay, so I can see that. Let's say, okay, if you're afraid that you're gonna lose to them, that's what you're afraid of. I'm sorry, if you weren't afraid afraid of losing to LeBron, you were just an idiot. Um, the guy went to what, 10 straight finals. Yeah. A lot of people lost to him. So if you weren't afraid of that, then you were just being dumb and then you were afraid, but Oh, but they were afraid of Jordan. Yeah. He went to a bunch of finals too. If so, I'd be afraid of losing to him too. But if you're not afraid of losing to Braun, you're not paying attention. So to me, just the whole Jordan versus LeBron debate is getting old. Besides Kareem is the goat anyway. Got a video on it. You should check it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just it's just getting aggravating with these silly hot takes that oh players were afraid of Jordan, they're not afraid of Le- afraid of LeBron. And it's just crazy talk. 
last topic I want to go to on sports is uh, another take. Shannon Sharp made some comments about Shaq. Uh, basically said that Shaq, you know, didn't live up to his what he, potential, what he could have been. And I am 100% in agreement on that. I believe that if Shaq had the obsession like Jordan and Kobe did, he would have been the greatest of all time. I mean, like far and away. Like we wouldn't have, be having a debate. There wouldn't LeBron wouldn't even be in the conversation. Jordan would have been passed. It would have been done over with by now. Because Shaq, his size, his speed, his ability, his natural ability, just his natural things he had, um, would have put him if he you then throw in the work ethic of a Jordan and a Kobe. It would have just put him so far above the others, there wouldn't be a conversation to be had. Um, and even without that, this is not a knock on Shaq. He had an amazing career, Hall of Fame career. He is in the discussion as one of the greatest ever, and especially one of the greatest centers of all time, for sure. But he had other interests. He was interested in music. He was interested in acting. He was interested in business. And he didn't put his life into basketball, and I can't fault him for that. Life is There's more to life than putting a ball in a hoop, you know? So what he did put in still was all-time great. But if he did have that, if he had that obsession like Jordan and Kobe and even LeBron, arguably, then, yeah, he would have probably been the greatest basketball player of all time. He would have passed even my number one of all time, Kareem. Uh, that would have been tough because Kareem has a really stacked resume given high school and college as well. But for sure in the NBA, Shaq would have been, I think, the NBA GOAT if he had Jordan and Kobe's obsession with basketball. Um, but yeah, guys, that is about going to wrap things up. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am going to be looking in the future. I talked about this a little in the last episode and I've been thinking more about it. And I'm definitely wanting to do a live show at some point. So that is in the cards coming going forward. I don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe next week, but maybe not. It's really an issue I've got to work out is um, the time when I would do it. Because obviously the best time on YouTube is going to be in the evening when people are home or people are home from work and whatnot because I doubt many children are watching this. So uh, I want it to be on, of course, when people can see it. And um, but that's a busy time. Kids are home from school. We got dinner to work on. And, you know, um, I do have a family here that I have to also take care of. So timing is going to be an issue, but that's something I'm going to be working on, seeing if I can squeeze it into the schedule somewhere. It's something I definitely want to do, but it's just going to, like I said, take some time to work out the details. Till then, I'm going to keep putting out these episodes pre-recorded. Um, and I got three in this week. I'm pretty happy with that. It came together a little easier than I thought it would because that's really what had kind of held me back the most. So, um, right now, again, I'm still sticking with one a week. That's what I'm promising, but more are definitely, uh, possible. And if it keeps going good, I will probably look to increase that to like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's let's just say that's the long term goal. And I did it this week and that's great, but I'm not sure yet I can commit to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So if you do it great, if not, for sure, we will get a new episode out every Monday. 
But I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to hit that like button. It really helps the channel, and it even helps more if you subscribe and hit the little bell so you're notified when a new episode drops. Um, but I'll see you guys in the next episode.